What's up, everybody? My name is Athena, and you're here to listen to Vanished in the Valley. So a few weeks ago, I was telling you guys about a story that I've been working on involving the military and sexual assault allegations. Now, normally on the podcast, I've kind of covered the allegations where a sexual assault claim is made and then the military just completely drops the ball and either doesn't investigate or the person who has the accusations against them aren't really punished. Well, we're mixing it up this time because this is exactly the opposite of that. For a few years now, we've been hearing story after story in the mainstream media of how the military isn't tough enough on sexual assault. But it would seem the pendulum has swung the other way because I was fortunate enough to sit down with a man named Arvis Owens, who told me several cases of lives ruined and justice absolutely not served. I mean, you guys are not going to believe some of the stories you're about to hear. Now, Arvis had so many stories and just absolute nightmares that I've decided to break this up into a couple of episodes so you guys get a chance to hear everything Arvis has to say, because it's going to blow your mind what our military has done to our service members. You're not going to believe it, but we have the receipts. We have the court documents, the different news reports, and the affidavits. We've looked at this all, and it's happening right now, you guys. There are people sitting in prison that do not belong there. So I'm just going to have this. So I'm just going to play this interview for you guys, and I'm also going to include some different websites so you know where you can go to help out Arvis and his organization, which is called Would You Care? So go to the bottom of the show notes and you will find their Facebook page, you will find their website and a change.org petition that you can sign to help everyone out. And I'm sure after you hear these stories, you're going to want to know what you can do to help. So sit back and let's hear the story of Keith Berry. Let's start with Keith. Tell me his story. Okay, so this story is about uh, a Navy senior chief and what a senior chief is is a senior enlisted leader in the United States Navy. They could be also be in the Coast Guard, but Keith Berry is a Navy SEAL, uh, one of the best SEALs that, that the Navy's ever ever trained. And so he is gonna move to California and he gets introduced to a young lady who might be interested in, in some sort of uh, dating scenario. So he comes to California and he starts casually dating a, a young lady. And from the beginning, he makes it very clear that, you know, he's just getting to the area, he's got a lot of stuff going on, and that it's strictly casual. He starts to see her, they start having a good time hanging in each other's company. And then one day, after a sexual encounter, I believe she's speaking to some type of friend, she says, hey, this was sexual assault. And she, she does something on Facebook, she contacts the military. So at that time, the military was under pressure because there were reports that there were sexual, a sexual assault epidemic in the military. And so Keith is taken to court martial and court martial is a military trial. 
And so a little background on that relationship. I believe they had four sexual encounters up until that point. And after the last one, she wanted to spend more time with him, but he wanted to go rock climbing or spend time with his fellas. And my understanding is she thought that this was leading to a more serious relationship. When in fact, again, he reiterated that this is only casual. Keith goes to court martial. He's fighting the charges and he gets found guilty of the charges. So if you can imagine this, this war hero, he's done greater than 150 missions, uh, combat missions for this country. He has been given awards for valor, uh, for bravery. He has got brain injuries because of the explosions that he's been a part of uh, in his combat situations. And now he's sentenced to prison. So he goes to prison and while in prison, they want him to sign a document and do this, I believe it's training, because now he's a sex offender. And, or he's given that label. He's not one, but he's given that label as a sex offender. And he refuses to sign it. He's like, this, I didn't do this. So let me back up for a second. Sure. In his case, the convening authority, and what a convening authority is, is a flag level officer. Think a general in the, in the services or an admiral in the case of the Navy. This was an admiral looks over all of the evidence, gets to see it, and at that time realizes, hey, they, you know, this guy's not guilty. They didn't prove their case. And he had the power to order a new trial, to overturn the case. He doesn't do that. He, he speaks with his staff, Judge Apicals. These are lawyers who, who consult with him, who say, don't do it. They want him to rubber stamp it. And then also at that time, and this is unbeknownst to Keith, the head of the JAG Corps, the head of the lawyers in the Navy, is said to have spoken with the Admiral. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll read this to you because I think it gives the, uh, the information better. This was an article in the San Diego Union Tribune, which wrote about the story after uh, Keith's exoneration. And it said, uh, although Vice Admiral Nanette Dorenzi who at that time was the then the judge advocate general of the Navy, the head lawyer in the Navy, never urged Lorge, his name is Rarma Lorge, two-star, to approve the ruling against Barry. She expressed concerns to him about the Navy's reputation with military commanders routinely questioned by Congress and other political military uh, and leaders, including the president, about overturning sex crime convictions, according to Lorge's affidavit. And we'll get into that more later. It, it further goes on to say that Lorge also said Vice Admiral James Crawford III, he was the deputy uh, judge advocate, so right underneath uh, Vice Admiral Dorenzi, and he eventually becomes the head judge advocate. So he, he's the current, at this, the time of this article, the current judge advocate general of the Navy, told him that if you disapprove the findings, it will ruin your career, according to court documents in Barry's case. So obviously Keith doesn't know anything about this, so we'll take you back to he, he's in prison, they put him in solitary confinement, and he takes medication. Uh, and my understanding is because of those traumatic brain injuries he received because of, the, because of those explosions and all that he's seen. And they deny him his medication. They put him in solitary confinement. Eventually, with the intervention of someone, they relent and they give him his medication. Now, is that even legal? Are those type military prisons allowed to deny medication? Or are they kind of bending rules here and purposely messing with him, do you think? 
my understanding is that it is illegal and the person who brought it to their attention said as much gotcha. which is why his medication was reinstated so he, he goes to prison he's there two and a half years and when Keith's released that's when this this nightmare really really and truly starts in earnest in the military, you see, you can get a letter of reprimand. That's a letter that says you get a bad job, and that's concluded. That's a punishment. So now he's out of prison after two and a half years, and now he's a registered sex offender. Keith is virtually homeless at this point. He's relying on friends to stay with them. Because what most people don't know is it's restrictive where you can stay. And he can't get a job. This decorated Navy SEAL who's protected our country countless times put his life in danger, has had top secret clearances at the highest level of government. He can't get a job at McDonald's because he's a registered sex offender. In fact, Keith even says he couldn't get a job driving Uber. I want you to think about that for a second. You know, how comfortable would you feel if your Uber driver is a registered sex offender? Right. You don't know the, right, you don't know the background of his story, but so, so he can't get a job. He can't find employment. And and I want to I want to give a little bit of, of, of credibility to employers because here's what they what they were facing in that situation and others like his. It's they're worried about their customers and their partners and their is what are they going to think or what are they going to feel if they hire somebody that's a registered sex offender. Yeah. And besides that, it could be a liability too. It's yeah. I completely understand why employers are like that, but in Keith's case, it's just, it's, it's working completely backwards. It is, it is. And, and you're right with liability. In fact, we find in, in other, in other cases, they mention it is a liability issue. It's let's say someone Google searches, which you being on the registry shows up, even if they don't go to the official registry, there are third-party sites that post your information. And what if someone sees that and then eventually files suit against that company and says, hey, look, you knew this guy had this designation and you hired him. And so I want to say it's what makes it incredibly difficult for people to find employment, gainful employment. And so he, he's relying on friends at that point. And then something kind of magical happens. A whistleblower comes forward. So that whistleblower comes forward and shares that there were conversations that happened, that there were concerns that the evidence wasn't there to convict him. This guy was wrongfully convicted. And again, the convening authority, Admiral Large, Large wanted to overturn the conviction. And then we go back to those conversations with his two staff judge advocates, his, his attorneys that advise him are telling him to rubber stamp it. It's, you've got Vice Admiral Nanette DeRenzi, the, again, the, then the Judge Advocate of the Navy, you know, and then you also have Vice Admiral Crawford. If you disapprove the findings, it will ruin your career. So this information comes out, they reach out to Admiral Lorge, and he, he writes an affidavit, he signs an affidavit stating how he felt pressure to approve the conviction, even though there were significant reservations. There was a significant lack of evidence to convict this man, this, this war hero for sexual assault. He basically didn't do his duty. And, and that's even more important because what the military did 
to uh, to try and assure that the sex assault cases uh, that the convening authorities weren't influences, they had to sign affidavits saying they were not negatively influenced. You see, in the military, there's something called unlawful command influence, how senior leaders cannot influence uh, certain certain events and, in, involving court martials. And what he writes in his affidavit is, in fact, he was. He had, he had to swear prior to it that he was not influenced. And later he comes back and he says, in fact, he was influenced. In fact, uh, there, there's a quote that, that, that's taken from it. And, and, and you have that documentation. Yes. And you're welcome to, to share with your readers where he was fearful of political ramifications of, of punishment of that would come down from senior political leaders if he was to not approve the findings. He was worried about the reputation of the Navy in that case. And the bigger issue is, what about all the other cases where he was convening authority? What about all of the other cases where the head of the Navy's legal system was involved? How many of those other people were also compromised? Was there ever an investigation done? And so what happens is after Admiral Lorge signs this affidavit, Keith's attorneys, uh, they go to the court and they ask for a new court proceeding. And they get it. They get a new appellate review. And sure enough, the Navy, not wanting to obviously get his conviction overturned, says, well, we'll assign it to a new convening authority. Basically, we'll give it to a new admiral because this was. But again, I want you to think about this. I want your listeners to think about if he was influenced by the head of the of the Navy's legal program, then what about all the other admirals? How are you going to find an admiral that's not influenced? by the news. They all read the news every day. They get something called the early bird where they're informed about news. And you had military commanders being relieved for intervening in sexual assault cases, regardless of what the evidence showed. And he even states that in his affidavit. And so where are you going to find someone that's not biased? So the court elects to overturn his case. He's reinstated. He's given all of his pay and benefits back. And again, the incredible thing is there were no other investigations about what other cases were involved besides Keith, where there was compromised evidence. There was a lack of evidence that the courts were getting convictions in cases where they shouldn't have gotten convictions. Wow. So let me just make this clear to everyone. There could be hundreds of other cases that just didn't get the same attention where the convictions are still standing. These people are still either in prison or they've lost everything or they're on the sex offender registry. There could be countless other cases that we don't know about because they didn't get the same attention. So that's just kind of happening right now. You're exactly right. That's exactly true. And it's happening right now as we speak. This is affecting people, our soldiers, U.S. soldiers right now. That's right. Soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines, it's happening in all of the services. I'll share with you that there was a senior officer on the Joint Chiefs of Staff who wrote a letter to Congress stating how the military was getting convictions in sexual assault cases where civilian prosecutors would not even put charges forward. And here's the question. How does the military get convictions in cases where civilian prosecutors won't even bring charges. So when this senior officer 
presents this information, he's called out. I think a nonprofit group called him out. He, he, re, like, he retires. And then the then Secretary of Defense doubles down and says, no, he's telling the truth. We're getting convictions in cases where civilian prosecutors refuse to go forward. And no one, no one gets the rationalization. How are they getting those convictions in those cases where civilian prosecutors wouldn't even go forward? Which leads me to another case, if it's okay to share with you. Absolutely. Please tell us. So this second case uh, goes to the Air Force, and this was uh, an airman named Micah Carroll. So Micah, at this time, is married. Think about it. It's, it's 2009, I believe, the time frame, and he was deployed to Afghanistan. So due to some things, he, he believes that his wife is having an extramarital affair. So at that time, he goes to his commander. He's deployed in a war zone at this time, but he goes to his commander with head in hand, and he's not feeling great about this because the mission the mission comes first. But he, he can't focus entirely on the mission because he believes that his wife is cheating on him. Yeah, that's got to be absolutely horrible. It is. And so he goes to his commander, and he asks to go home early. Can he go home a couple weeks early? He tells them the story. And, and you got to realize... He's wondering how this is going to be taken. You know, I got to go to my commander and, and open myself up and share this with him. And then I got to leave my, my, my responsibility early to go take care of this. You got to, you, you imagine what that feels like to right. open yourself up like that. It's going to be a horrible decision to make. It is. So his commander, understandably, allows him to go home two weeks early nice. to try to save his marriage. So he goes back, his wife leaves him with the three children when he gets home from Afghanistan. Just leaves him and um. returns a week later to ask for another chance. So, so imagine that, you've been in a war zone, you've had to go to your commander, you come back to confront your wife and your worst fears are in fact realized. And she leaves you with three children after you've been deployed to a war zone returns a week later and asks for another chance. That's but like, Michael, that's some nightmare level shit because you guys listen to this. When they get back from war zones, they are not 100% themselves. They need time to decompress. But can you imagine coming back from a war zone Then you have the added stress of a spouse that's cheating and then they leave and they leave you with three kids. It's gotta be, uh, I, I can't believe something really bad didn't, I mean, it's possible something really bad could have happened, but it didn't. So you got to give him, you know, respect just for being able to mentally handle all of that. Right. So she comes back after a week and she wants to repair the marriage. And Micah says yes, because he loves her and he loves his children and he wants to save his marriage. So a few months go by and he starts to suspect again in his gut. She's still cheating. Oh, no. So he goes out and he does something. He buys a hidden camera. Again, he still wanted to save his marriage, but there's something telling him that, hey, she might be still cheating. So he puts the hidden camera in his bedroom, right? There's a bedroom he shares with his wife, and he's hoping for the best, that, that nothing's going to be on this camera because he still wants to save his marriage. And unfortunately, not only does he catch her cheating again, it's with a different man than the first time. Oh, wow. 
Oh. So, so again, though, Micah wants to save his marriage. He's fighting for his marriage. But his wife, after discovering this, she files for divorce. So she files for divorce. And as, as, you re, as your listeners might imagine, there's a custody battle. Right. So I believe at that point, it's around 2012. And the hidden camera stuff was brought up in an affidavit that he signed. So they're going back and forth. And then his then wife becomes a, a, a paralegal in the Air Force around 2014. And then all of a sudden, he's charged with indecent recording in 2015 three years after or so that they have this this major child custody battle. So now he's being charged by the Air Force and he's being taken to court-martial to trial for indecent recording. And I want to explain to you what what they're what they're what that means yes please do because it's a little bit different civilian versus military so break it down for us please so i'll break that down so so you have to figure that the the intent of the law was just the the intent of indecent recording is it was designed to get voyeuristic people uh peeping toms people who put cameras in showers or in and to, to for sexual gratification okay so so the analogy I use is you have a net to catch tuna, but what happens if that net catches a sea turtle, right? Do you put a release to allow the sea turtle to escape? So basically the Air Force is charging him, Micah, because they said he put the camera in the bedroom for sexual purposes because he got sexual gratification from seeing his wife with another man. Wow. Now, how would they even go about proving something like that? I think this is going to bring us to another point that... Military and civilian courts also have different, I guess, things that they allow. Hearsay seems to be easier to allow and I guess intent. So you guys have to keep in mind, this is not civilian court. So there are different standards and different procedures that they use to convict these guys. That's right. So here's how they did it. They, they changed the rules and here's what the rules state. So. Micah is not allowed to tell the the court, the jury, that his wife was having an extramarital affair. So they're arguing that his intent was to get sexual gratification from this camera in in, in his bedroom. And he cannot tell the jury that his wife was having an affair or tell them what his intent was in putting the camera. So we're going to charge you with doing this for sexual purposes, and you can't defend yourself by saying that no, your wife had had an affair, actually more than one, and you put the camera in there. And, and so what I, I tell your, your listeners is, imagine putting a nanny cam because you want to make sure your babysitter is doing the right thing. Right. I'm sure thousands, hundreds of thousands of people do that every single day. Correct. And then they go, well, well, you didn't put that in to make sure that your baby was safe. You put that in to catch someone having sexual relations. So we're going to take you to jail. And we're going to make you a sex offender. And you can't tell people the real intent about why you put that nanny cam there. So the judge in his case rules that he could not tell the jury that he suspected his wife was cheating on him. She even eventually admits it. He also said, this is the judge, that Micah's intent for buying the camera was irrelevant. Right. So I want you to think about that for it. Your intent is irrelevant. Think about the law and intent. So they're arguing that his intent was to put the camera for sexual gratification, 
but his true intent was irrelevant. Wow. How could that? So the prosecutor argued that he was a sexual predator. He gets, of course, found guilty by the, by the panel. So in the military, they call the jury panel. Okay. But there's different rules. He gets sentenced to nine months in jail, placed on the sex offender registry, and receives a very bad discharge from the U.S. military. So think about trying to get a job. You're on the sex offender registry. You've been to jail. No. And you got no Oh, my God. No one is going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. It's just they're setting up these people, what, to be homeless, to be pariahs of society? Right. So some of his neighbors think he's a monster because he's on the registry. They don't understand the background, the circumstances for what happened. Um, he eventually finds love with someone else, gets married to someone else, and through her love and support, he's able to function at a small level. And he, he even, he has, he has another child. And, but here's, here's the kicker. He can't attend functions. He can't go to the school. Right again, a letter of reprimand is a punishment in the military. He can't attend his child's school. Think about not being able to go the first day of school. Not being able to go to sporting events involving minors, no matter the situation. You can't be that little league coach and you love sports. And he does love sports. He's banned from all military installations. And so he's able to get some work via construction. But again, he can't go on bases. And that's where most of the work is in his area. So again, he's doing something outside of what he learned in the Air Force. But again, he's he's getting the only type of work he can. And there's so many restrictions on that. His ex-wife uh, gets married again. And her current husband decides to adopt his children. And he couldn't go to, go to court and fight it because he couldn't really make the money and, and due to his sex offender status. So he's lost all contact with his first three children. And they think he's a monster because the only side they hear is the one that the mother is telling them. And an adoption goes through that he can't even protest. He can't decorate his house or participate in some holidays because it could look like he was trying to lure children in. I want you to think about that. And I'm getting a little emotional talking about that. No Halloween, no Christmas again. So people would argue and say, well, that's not a punishment. Put yourself in that situation and tell me if you went through that, if someone you love went through that, would it be a punishment? Micah has to obtain permission from the sheriff just to travel out of the county if he's planning to be gone more than three days. And he must register with the sheriff wherever he's traveling. He's been seeing a therapist for at least 10 years and will probably continue indefinitely because of the post-traumatic stress disorder, because of all this stuff. He's being diagnosed with depression and every day is a challenge just to get out of bed. He doesn't have health care. Oh, wow. Because of being denied benefits through VA, even though he served 18 years. He's unable to vote. He can't hunt and he loves to hunt due to being a felon. His body and his mind is broken due to this trauma of the last 12 years of this. I can't believe he's he's made it this far. This is one tough-ass motherfucker. I just got to say it. I don't even think most people would be able to make it through half of that trauma. I just, it, it's insane. They're putting our soldiers and our just military in general because it's happening not just in the Navy, not just in the Air Force, but 
the army, the Marines, it seems to be happening in every single branch of the United States military. They're literally mentally and physically torturing our decorated soldiers. It is. It is happening. Again, the only reason he's still here breathing is because of the, the, the support of his current wife who, who stood by him and she stands by with, with him today. And again, people don't know. And again, this is the tip of the iceberg. We could talk about, uh, I'll have another case that we can talk about. If, if you, Yes, if let it roll. Here. Everybody needs to hear this because it's happening so often. And after we tell the stories, we're going to tell you guys what we think is going on as to the cause of all of these insane and unjust convictions. But yeah, let's hear another one. So the next story, uh, Major Clarence Anderson III, another Air Force case, his ex-wife also having uh, a mar- uh, an affair during their marriage. And not only does she have an affair, she gets pregnant. So Clarence finds this out and he immediately files for divorce. Obviously there's a custody situation that's, let's say it's not going her way. He sexually assaulted me in the marriage. So she files charges. And here's here's a sticking point. If Clarence agrees to give up custody of their daughter, she'll drop all charges. But Clarence refuses because he loves his daughter and he wants to be in her life. And he's saying, I didn't do this. There is no way the Air Force is going to allow this to happen. I didn't do this. And the civilians, again, refuse to bring charges. Clarence is convicted, sent to jail. And here's where it gets really interesting. His wife's lover gets caught on a recording. And again, we can make that available to you, where her lover admits that he got paid money and lied on the stand. So I want you to think about that for a second. He admit that he lied on the stand and he got paid money. So when you listen to the recording, he acknowledges getting $10,000, right? So it was Clarence's mother who, who had the re- uh, recording made um, talking to the, the man. They go forward with this information to say, okay, you know, the trial is just complete. This is new evidence. So the military orders another hearing, right? So they order another hearing to hear the evidence. and. He admits on the stand that it wasn't $10,000. It was $100,000. Wow. No, that's not a conflict of interests or something going on in the military there? I get that. I believe it is, right? So he lies and says that the relationship started after the separation. Again, she's pregnant, so you can figure out the math of when it started. He lied about when the relationship started. So he admits in this hearing how he lied and about the money. The Air Force judge says that he can't admit the evidence in Clarence's defense. So let that set in for you. He can't admit the evidence. So here's the question that comes up in my mind, and and maybe it will in your listeners too, is why would you have a hearing to hear evidence that you can't submit in someone's defense? The judges, do they have to say why they won't admit the evidence? Or can it just be like, I'm not admitting it, it's over, period, done? So... I I don't remember the specific detail, but what I recall, and we can read through this, is he goes, he's not allowed to to submit it. Uh. And here's what happens later. 
it's discovered that he was allowed to submit that evidence, right? So then you so would then, think they can go back and redo it, right? There's a chance. <laughs> you would think that, but what ends up happening is the Air Force changes their rhetoric and they go, well, he could have submitted it, but he used his judgment to not submit it. Oh, so which wow. one is it? Could he not submit it or did he use his judgment? So they changed the story after it was discovered that he could in fact submit it. Oh, wow. So it gets it gets worse. He goes to his congressperson and he's working the system and they ask for an investigation. And again, the investigation comes up nothing. No impropriety there. You've got a recording of your ex-wife's lover who got her pregnant admitting that he lied under oath and received payments but they allow the conviction to stand. Clarence is in jail. He's making noise. He's trying to get attention. Clarence has done several interviews. He's he's put the information out there. He's even filed a federal lawsuit against the military. But here's something else that most people don't know, is guess who defends the military in lawsuits, in civil lawsuits? Who? The Department of Justice. Oh, wow. So he, he's still fighting that battle. He's had some setbacks because they don't have to look at all the evidence. They're trying to argue, well, you didn't submit it in time. So every excuse why they didn't allow the evidence. So then why have the hearing to begin with? Again, if he didn't submit it in time, why have the hearing to hear the evidence? And, and you, again, you change your story. First, you say, I can't, we can't submit it. I'm not authorized. Then why did you have the, the hearing to begin with? Okay, well, he had permission, but he chose not to. Okay, then why didn't you say that first? And then... And then the third thing is, well, he didn't submit it in time. So, so a thing it's it's what is the answer? The answer is, well, we don't want to overturn the case. Exactly. That's it's like okay, let's just change this so we don't even have to deal with it, and we can just push it away. Here's a man with a with a, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree, and the only job he was able to get at that time was he found a fast food restaurant and in a a service station willing to hire him. So he can't use his degree. He can't use his training. He's, he's, getting, he's getting underutilized. He's not getting paid very well. Now, fortunately, through some help of someone, he was able to recently find some employment. Um, but literally, for years, he's got nothing. He's doing everything he can to scrap. And think about not being able to see your child. You know, he was in jail. He was also put in solitary confinement for not wanting to sign the paperwork, making him a sex offender, not wanting to do the training that, that they have if you if you've received that designation and it's think about first day of school and Lily and all the things he can't do in his life and still not interacting with that daughter that he had. And again, people not giving him the benefit of the doubt. Of course not. There. I mean, we've kind of been trained at this point to, as soon as we see the label sex offender, we think vile, we think scum, we think, you know, less than dirt. And unfortunately, this is being applied to people that don't deserve that designation. And you guys, this is just the tip of the iceberg, because like I said at the beginning of the episode, we're going to actually have another part to this whole story, because there are so many more cases where this type of nightmare is happening, a living nightmare to our decorated service members. So you're going to have to check back and we will have a little bonus episode where Arvis break down some more stories for us. And I'm going to leave some 
different web links for you guys so you can go there and get more details and figure out what you can do to help. Go at least sign the change.org petition that I've linked in the show notes. So until the next episode, you guys, be aware and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao.